All right, how we doing? Doing well? Good. Before we jump into our message today, I want to bring up Pastor Derek. We've got a quick announcement I want to let our church know about. So Derek, why don't you come on up here. If you don't know, this is Pastor Derek. Yeah, you can give it up for him. Uh, he is our what we call our family development pastor here, which means he is the pastor over kids and students. And we sent out an email this week to our, all of our team members in those two areas, but we wanted to let our church know for two reasons. One, to let you know that Pastor Derek has accepted a position at a church in Arizona uh, in the very same uh, type of role, actually next-gen pastor, I think the title is. And so we wanna let you know about that because he will be transitioning off of our staff at the end of this month. But two, we also wanted to celebrate him and his wife, Tori, and all the work that they have done here in the last five years in helping build our Rev Kids and Rev Students Ministries. You know, anytime there's a transition like this uh, on a church staff, I think a lot of times we can forget that ministry, you know, callings to different places is seasonal. Um, I was telling him and we were telling our team members, I remember when I left the church I was on staff at in Texas being a student pastor for seven years and then coming here. It was very, very hard. It was very, very emotional because you do make a lot of friendships. You do make a lot of connections. But, but leaving there and coming here is one of the greatest decisions of my life. And, you know, I won't be the lead pastor here forever. None of us are going to be in the same positions and roles forever. And so we wanted to come up here. One, I wanted you to hear from him. I wanted you to hear from me to say a couple things that this is not a bad thing uh, in any way. It is a sad thing. I, I told him I, I'm still mad at him uh, for, for going, but um, in no way or fashion uh, am I really mad at him. I mean, that's a joke because I love Derek very much and what he has done here at our church, I'm so incredibly grateful for. So I wanted you to hear from him as, as well, but I want us to honor him if we could. Could you give it up for Pastor Derek and just the work that he has done here? Yeah. All right, now it's your turn. Yes, I, this is the part I don't want to do, but uh, it's been our greatest joy to serve here at Revolution, and uh, our youngest baby wasn't even born the day we moved here, so uh, seeing him grow up and, and not know any other place in Georgia has been, you know, that's a big decision for us to move our family, and yeah. uh, everyone here has been the, the greatest, uh, most welcoming and loving church that we could have asked for. Uh, I, I told Jason that the thing that drew us to this place was the people and the servants uh, yeah. of this church. And uh, every single week that we've gotten to be a part of this church, we've seen people serve and give and, and do more than we could ever dream. And we've watched this place grow. Mm -hmm. uh, I've learned so much during my time here, uh, watching your babies be dedicated here, your kids be baptized here, and then even moving into seeing your students serve all throughout the churches definitely the greatest joys of my life. And so I thank you all for, for pouring into my family. Uh, and I, I'll be watching from afar of all the things that keep happening. I said, we're going to be long distance friends. This isn't over. No. You're not getting rid of me. We're just <laughs> moving on. And we're, uh, we're excited about the future, but we're, we're sad to leave our friends here. Yeah. And this really is a great opportunity for them. They're going to a great church just outside the uh, Phoenix area. And uh, I told him, it's just really cool, even some of the similarities, but uh, they're further along in us uh, in some ways. And so I'm really, really excited for him uh, and this opportunity to continue to exercise his gifts. And we want to continue to learn from him as well. Um, but make sure that you take time. He'll be with us through the end of the month. That's why we want to go ahead and do it early. So you can take time to let them know uh, just how much you love them and care for them and honor them and celebrate them. You want to buy them gift cards to help them move or whatever it is. Uh, I know they're not going to say no to that. Uh, and so make sure you, you tell them just how incredible grateful, uh, grateful that you are uh, just in the work that they have done here. So I'm going to pray. Uh, for him and our message as we jump in. And so if you want to bow your heads and pray with me, we're going to pray for them and then we'll get into the message. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, just how you orchestrate things. God, we know that you orchestrated um, circumstances to get Derek and Tori here. And God, I'm so grateful for that, even though in those seasons of ministry are tough, God, but I'm so grateful that you brought them here and that we've gotten to know them and work with them and do ministry with them and build with them and just the influence he has had on my kids. God, I thank you for that. 
and all the kids and students in our church. And God, I'm excited for them as they embark on this new season. And, and yes, it's tough and it's all right to be sad and especially relationships that were made here, God, it's okay to, to feel that, um, but we're excited for them. We're excited for this new season for them and their family. Just pray for them, God, in that whole process that you would just bless that. There's a lot of details, a lot of things to take care of and move and all that kind of stuff, God. And, uh, and so I just pray that you'd bless them in that process. God, give them grace to enjoy it as much as possible, saying bye and then going and making new friends. And, uh, and so God, I just pray that you'd, the whole thing, that you would just allow them to just enjoy that and then transition well. And then God, help us uh, for the future. God, we still want to continue to build kids and students. And I know Derek wants that. God wants that to continue. So God, I pray that you'd help us have wisdom to know how to move forward and what the best ways uh, to do that and to staff those things. And so God, I pray for us in the future as well. I look forward to seeing what you're gonna do uh, in them and in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give it up for him one last time. Thanks, buddy. Love you, man. All right, I, I was joking with him before, but uh, he's, there's not very many dudes I stand next to that I have to look up to. And so uh, next time we might have to get someone a little bit shorter, Derek. And so uh, that would be good. But seriously, uh, we're excited about what God's gonna continue to do with us. And part of that is in this message series that we are currently in. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Micah. We have been there for the last couple weeks. And again, if you don't know, where the book of Micah is. It's right after the book of Jonah in the section that's called the Minor Prophets. And it's, as I've said several times, it's not minor in its message. It's just minor in its length. In fact, I would say the message of the book of Micah, which is why I think the Lord wanted us to go through it now, is, is so timely just because of how not only he's talking about what was happening with the people of God then, and again, as I've said, it's not written to us, it's written for us, but a lot of the things that the people of God were struggling with then, I think the people of God are struggling with now. Because literally in that day, the, the nation of Israel had become two nations. They had become so divided and so divisive. They had become two different groups, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, and we all have heard the phrases, right, that, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. And yes, that's true for a, a country, but, but I want to approach this message series because I'm not the president. Y'all didn't elect me, all right? I'm a pastor. So this isn't written to America. This is written to the church. And I think any group of people are always on the cusp of, of things being divided because the devil loves to divide. He loves to divide and conquer. And so the message of Micah, I think, is something that we can get around. You and I can have disagreements about politics. We can have disagreements about all kinds of things. But the thing that we should agree on is what Micah 6, 8 says, which is to do justice, to love kindness and mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And so that's the message of the book of Micah. And that's what we've been looking at for the last several weeks. And I've told you that this message really is two primary things. It's about judgment and it's about mercy. And I joked last week, if you were here but you know, kind of pre-COVID, before we were having to do restrictions and RSVPs and all that kind of stuff, these kind of messages, pastors joke, and it's not that it's funny, but we would call them typically a space maker because not everyone likes to hear messages on judgment. So before we jump in today, I just want to say thank you for coming back. Thank you for showing back up. Thank you for watching online. Thank you for, for staying in there. Um, because again, it's one of my greatest joys to pastor you, but I'm glad that we're the type of church, hopefully, that can take the word of God seriously, no matter how hard it is to hear. And so I, I want us to continue to hear these words, even though they're not necessarily maybe the messages that you would just love to hear, but I've gotten encouragement this week and not that I, I, I do it for that, but I want you to understand, I'm just grateful for you that you want to hear the word of God preached and you don't just leave because you're upset because I taught a message on judgment. All right. And so with that, let's get into more judgment. All right, Micah chapter 3, verse 1. Again, we'll get into some mercy as well. But verse 1 through 3, let me read this. It says, And I, Micah, said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? The obvious question is yes. You who hate the good and love the evil. That's an operative phrase. 
because we're supposed to do the exact opposite. Romans 12, 9 says that. Amos 5 says that. We're supposed to love good and hate evil. But they had become so twisted in Israel, they had got it backwards. He says, you who hate the good and love the evil. Now listen to this. It's going to be a little graphic. You tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people, who flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Welcome to church. Now, Micah is not railing on the people of God because they were cannibals. All right? That's, that's not the sin of what they were doing. This is obviously highly figurative language. But he's making a point here. And the point is... You're treating people like meat. You're, you're treating people as though they don't have a soul, as though they're not created in the image of God. You're treating them just like you're ravenous dogs, and, and you're just tearing them apart. Just, right? I mean, you're just, and yes, I, I like to have fun like that. So if you're new, all right, that's, that wasn't a tick, all right? And so what, what I want you to understand is, again, the message to, and now he's calling out in chapter three, the leaders. He's calling out the heads of Jerusalem, of the people of God, of these kingdoms. Now, again, this is not about us as a country, but it is about us as people because we're all leaders in some way. You're, you're a leader in your house. You might be a leader in your job. You might be a leader in this church. And there's something that's important that leaders need to do. And Micah calls it out here at the beginning. He says, listen. You need to hear what God is saying to you. So the thing that we need to understand is, and we'll again get more into this in a minute, is leaders, they listen. They listen to two primary places. They listen to God. They listen to the word of God. And this is what Micah is saying to them. And the word of God is coming to them and saying, listen, you're not loving people. You're not loving kindness and mercy. You're not doing justice. You're just trying to get ahead all the time. You're just trying to oppress whoever you can to, to just stock up your own bank accounts. And you just see people transactionally. You just see people not as people, again, not as souls, not as human beings. You just see them like they're animals and you're just ripping off their flesh. And, and here's what I find very interesting. Micah wrote this and he didn't know anything about social media. And again, I don't mean to rag on social media all the time because there are benefits to it. I'm not opposed to technology. I'm so grateful for the technological advances that we've had as a human, as a human species, right? I mean, I'm grateful that I don't have to get up from my chair and go turn the knob on a TV anymore. Anybody remember those days? Remember the push button boxes that you had with the cable running to your TV? Like you had to push it. And, and then my brother figured out, have you pushed like four channels? We could get HBO, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we, that we left the back phones, right? I mean, it, it, even as cool as they were when Zach had them at, on Saved by the Bell, that big phone. Like, I'm grateful that we've left that, right? I, I mean, I'm grateful for the technological advances that we've made. But here's what I've noticed. It's like the more technologically advanced we've become, the worse human beings we've become. It's like we've just tracked down with it because now what technology does is it, it allows us for instant access to just push out our thoughts all the time, and we have failed to understand in our human growth that, hey, not every thought should be shared. Not every mindset should be repeated. In, in fact, the Bible says those things are to be resisted. You're, you're to hate that. And how quickly, again, how quickly, but, and it's not just politics, it happens with everything. How quickly we have just seen other people as enemies or people to tear apart. And Mike is saying, you need to listen. And again, I think this is why this is a timely message, because I do think that God wants us to listen. And so wherever you are in a leadership spectrum, especially if you're the leader of your house, we have to look at it and say, man, how, how am I hearing the word of God? How am I loving other people? Am I the type of people that's just always in controversy? Let me just say it like this. If your social media is always creating controversy, I'm probably talking about you. 
If, if it's always, you're always just looking at an angle or make a point, because here's what I know. I can win a point and lose the argument. I, I, can, I can try to make a point or make a difference. I think a lot of times in our hyper divisive society, we're always just trying to make points. And again, just, I mean, just tearing people apart that we forget, man, what if I made a point to this person, but I failed to make a difference with that person? I failed to help them understand that even though we don't see this issue, whatever this issue is the same way, but I want that person to know that even though we have, maybe that person is not even a Christian, but they need to know that they're created in the image of God. And so I think it's important for us to listen. Why? Look at verse four. It says, then they will cry to the Lord. Now, this is the people of God. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time. Why? Because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall cover their lips. Now listen to this next phrase, for there is no answer from God. You don't want to know what I think, why, not what I think. You don't want to know what I think. All right. You want to know what the Lord thinks. Let me clarify there. Freudian slip. But you know why I think it's so important for you to listen? Because if we continue to fail to listen, there might come a day where God no longer listens to you where God no longer listens to you. Now, I got to be careful here. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Again, uh, women are allowed to change their mind. Pastors are allowed to nuance, all right? So I guess that wasn't funny. It was in my head, but the nuance is this. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. So I'm not saying that you can, you know, hear from God and, and you're saved and then you can sin so much that you no longer hear from God because you're no longer in relationship with him. That's not what I'm getting at. However, there, there is this unique, dynamic, and let me say this, mysterious, I, I can't fully explain it, thing that happens in our relationship with God that the less I listen to him and the more I sin against him, the, the more distance becomes between us. And again, I'm not losing my salvation, but we're, I'm definitely not sensing the presence of God. I'm definitely not being filled by the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into that in just a second. And, and this is why I'm saying to you, listen, you need to listen to what God is saying to us now, because if we fail to listen now, then when the crisis comes in your life and you really want God to listen, then he may say, man, I tried to talk to you for years and you wouldn't listen. And now I'm not listening. And I'm going to quote another verse to you. It's not on the screen, but you might want to write it down as a reference. Proverbs 23, 21, 13 says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. What is, what is going on here? He's saying, listen, whenever you spend your life as if there is no God, as if you can do what you want with your time, you can do what you want with your money, you can do what you want with your body, right? You change what marriage is. You change how you live. You don't obey. This is what we were talking about last week. Obedience follows obsessions. You just kind of, because you're obsessed with certain things, you just go out and obey whatever the world says, and you just become like everyone else around you. Then in that process, God is, is hiding. God is hiding, and, and it's going to feel as though he's not existing, that he's not there. Why? Because I think what happens is we just walk off like there's no God, and then we're surprised that he's back there. Again, it's not that there's not a God. It's not that there's, he's not, that we're not in relationship with him anymore, but it's like, 
but you've been living your life as though I was never here and you didn't even notice that I left. You didn't even notice, you didn't even sense because you were just so busy living in your strength, doing your deal. You didn't even sense that you weren't even filled with my presence anymore. You didn't even sense, I mean, when has it been since we've sat down and talked? When has it been that you've incorporated silence and scripture reading and worship and gathering with the people of God in your life? How long has that been? And I've said this before, I think the Holy Spirit has left some churches and people didn't even notice. That's what when we call a dead church. Again, a dead church is, is not just that the people in it just got older and then no new people that were younger came and so then it just dies out. I mean, that is a phenomenon of it, but I, but I think the reason why that happens is because the Holy Spirit left long ago and nobody noticed. And, and why did the Holy Spirit leave? And again, I'm not, not saying, remember new, I'm not saying that left in the sense that the people in the church aren't saved, but I'm talking about the power of the Spirit. The presence of the Spirit, the feeling, the, the tangible evidence that, man, God is here and he is meeting with us and, and he is moving in our midst and people are getting saved and getting baptized and people are growing, people are maturing, discipleship is happening, marriages are changing, kids are coming back, right? This whole idea of like you can just, you just can feel it and sense it. And I got to be honest with you, as a pastor, that's one of my greatest fears because he calls out the prophets here. Now, I've said this before. I'm not a prophet because if you prophesy and get it wrong, you lose your head, right? So I'm not a prophet, but I'm a pastor. And as the people were going that way, the pastors or the prophets at the time didn't rebuke it. Why? Because they wanted to eat. Now, again, I, I like to be a little tongue-in-cheek to bring levity to situations, and I just want to recognize the fact that like, hey, I like eating too. I mean, I don't know if you can tell with my athletically trimmed body, but I do like to eat. And this is why I thanked you at the beginning of the message, because the only reason that I can eat is because you are faithful in your tithing and giving. So I like eating. But here's the rub from a pastoral standpoint. Man, if you just call out sin in everybody and everybody's like, Adios, I'm out. I may not eat, right? And this is, this is the dynamic, again, from a pastoral leadership position to where there are times where I feel convicted and called by God to speak into something. It's like anytime we do a giving initiative, there, there is a group of people that leave because they're like, I knew it, church is about money. And, and, and as a pastor, Leading a congregation when, when it's so dynamic like that, like I don't ever want people to leave. I don't ever like people leaving. It's tough. It's like when people say, don't take it personal. Well, how the heck am I supposed to take it corporately? Like I can only take it personal. I'm a person, right? It's hard. It's tough. But, but the rub is this. Listen, I love you more than I actually love eating. Believe it or not, because I would rather speak in to your life what I think the Bible is saying the truth is for us than not do it and have steak at home. But it was to the point where God called out their prophets and said, listen, You've, you've sold out. He's going to call them out even more in a minute. You sold out to the point that you would rather eat instead of call out sin in my people. Because if you call out sin in my people, you're afraid to like, give us a new prophet. And this is why I say it's my greatest fear. It's my greatest fear for me. It's my greatest fear for you. And it's my greatest fear for the church. I don't ever want us to get to a place where we just sense like, Man, God is gone. Well, how do we not get to that? Look to verse 8. He says, but as for me, but as for me, and I almost titled the message that. I'll tell you later what I did title it. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, capital S, Holy Spirit, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. 
Now, let's stop and chat. I want to camp here for a little while. He says, but as for me, the reason why I almost titled it that, because I think that is how we all should respond. You know, it's like, what is going on in the world today? What is going on with our elections today? What is going on with all this stuff? I don't know. But as for me, and this is where I, if you want to know, like a, a temptations in my life or things I struggle with, I can be so outwardly focused sometimes that I fail to take care of myself. Like, well, I got to do this. I got to take care of this. I mean, I'm a work guy, right? I mean, you're not leading unless you're bleeding, my dad used to say. And so I just like to get up and gear up and work. But, but over time, I can get to the point where my soul starts shrink, shrinking because I haven't said, well, what a, what a, how am I doing? And so when everything else feels in chaos around us, you know the best thing that we can do? is to make sure we, but as for me, I'm filled with the Spirit. Because I can't control what's happening in your life. I can't control what's happening in the church. I can't control what's happening in the world. I can't control in all those things. But what I can control is how am I listening to God? But as for me, now there's a couple things here, because again, I want to help us understand this. He says, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, in Hebrew, the word with there only happens once, and so you can connect those two phrases together, and it's synonymous, and what that means is this. When you are filled with the Spirit, you are filled with power. Or you could say it opposite. When you are filled with power, it's because you are filled with the Spirit. So let's chat a little bit about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because again, I think that's the best thing that I can help you with. The best thing that I think the Lord really wants to speak into all of us is say, listen, forget what's going on out there. What about you? Where are you? Where are you in the spirit? Now, this phrase being filled with the spirit is a Bible word. In fact, you see it all throughout the Bible. There was moments in the Old Testament where different people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were particular people for particular purposes. So you had Moses, you had David, you had different people at different times, like Micah, different prophets, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, that they would be filled with the Spirit to do something, to do a task, to speak out in power. And then you see a prophecy in the book of Joel that looks forward to the day that it's not just on some people, but, but the Holy Spirit's on all people. And then that is what happens in the book of Acts in Acts chapter two at what's called Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came and filled people. Now, Jesus himself said this and the, the apostles said this. And so this phrase of being filled with the spirit, again, we are spiritual people. I want to give some terms to you because again, depending upon your church background or your, your whatever kind of experiences that you've had in church, and we're very, very diverse here uh, in that regard of like people have all... Some people are like, we talk about the Holy Spirit. They're like, stay away. That is freaky, right? And some people are like, give me more of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to help you because there's some phrase that, phrases that can be confusing at times. People talk about baptizing the Holy Spirit. Some people call him the Holy Ghost. You're like, what the heck is that about, right? Fill with the Spirit. What is this? So here's where I land. And again, we can have honest disagreements about this, but here's where I land, which wouldn't be in, in a... It's not in either, either kind of camp, more on the charismatic side or more way over on the conservative side. I'm more in the middle. And what I mean by that is this. I believe that when you get saved, when you trust Christ, that is the Holy Spirit coming upon you. That would be the phrase that I would use is baptized in the Spirit. Because you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes that incredibly clear. That is what we call regeneration. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you respond in faith, that was salvation. Now, there are some people that believe that after that point, you have a separate, distinct experience with the Holy Spirit, and that's called baptism of the Spirit. And then that's when people speak in tongues and do stuff like that. There are instances of that happening in the Bible, but here's what I want you to hear me say. I do not believe that that happens with everyone. In that regard, because I believe spiritual get, tongues is a spiritual gift and not everybody gets it. So terms matter. So when you're saved, 
I believe that's when you're baptized in the spirit. Now we have baptism troughs at both of our locations and we use water and the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about him as the living water inside of us. So just imagine that when you're saved, that's when you, that's when you got access to God. That's when you got access to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. You were baptized and that's why we get baptized in water. It's symbolic to what's already happened. Now, on the flip side of that, I think once that happens, you're filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and filled. And this is where a lot of my more conservative friends are like, well, once you got the Holy Spirit, you're done with the Holy Spirit. Now get busy following Jesus. Yes, but I can't follow Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he talks about here, he's filled with power. It's because Micah was conscious of the fact to something that they were not conscious about, that he couldn't do justice, love kindness and mercy and walk humbly with God without the Holy Spirit. And so Micah had been asking, I would assume, God, fill me with your spirit so I can have power, so I can have justice and might, strength, grace. And this was something that I, I, I honestly didn't learn in seminary and I honestly didn't learn in churches growing up. And I've joked about this, and I'm not trying to be mean to my tribe, but in seminary, it was like we talked about Father, Son, Holy Bible. Holy Spirit was for those people. And we didn't mess with him. He was freaky. People fall out. People get snakes out. And, you know, we're like, huh? Again, and I didn't grow up in church, and people were like, talking about snakes. I'm like, what is wrong with y'all people? People speaking in tongues. I mean, it took me a decades to kind of wrestle where I was on that issue because I, I, I didn't have those experiences and it was like language that was so foreign to me. But here's where I grew frustrated though. Because you and I can disagree about if everybody gets tongues or if everybody can handle snakes and not die. But you know what we can't disagree about? There's no way you can obey God without the Holy Spirit. You can't. And I grew frustrated with my tribe because I was like, listen, y'all told me all these rules to obey, but you didn't tell me how to do them. You didn't tell me that I can't do that in my flesh. You didn't tell me that God is not asking me to get up every day and just try harder. Anybody else try to live your life like that? I mean, I did. Maybe I'm alone. I don't know. I just thought every room in the house would go up. To where you get to this place, you're like, oh, I'm so, I can't love my wife like that. She made me mad. I can't discipline my kids with love and grace. I just want to beat them. I can't love my neighbor. I can't, my coworker, you don't know my coworker. And, and here's what I want you to hear me say. You can't do all those things. And God doesn't expect you to by yourself. Oh, he expects you to do them but he never asked you to do them without him first empowering you to do them. And that's what I want us to see here. You see, when I'm listening to God and I hear his commandments about how to love my neighbor as myself, how to love my enemy, how to serve my wife, how to serve the church, how to love my community. I see all of that. I also see in scripture, Jesus himself obeying the father because at his baptism, the Holy spirit descended upon him. So Jesus did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what's the difference between Jesus and I? Jesus knew that in his humanity, he couldn't do it without God. And so what is so helpful to me, and again, why I'm, I'm stressing on this is because I want you to understand something. Whenever you get saved, that is not all that God, the Holy Spirit has for you. The best way to think about it like this, if I could use a metaphorical kind of picture but once you get baptized, once you're saved, now you're connected. Now you have a hose, if you will, from the Father coming to you. And that, that is flowing, that living water that Jesus talks about in John is the Holy Spirit. And what can happen with us is we quit obeying God, we quit listening to God, and we quit asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that water starts drying up. Now, listen, again, you can't lose your salvation. It's still connected. You're still connected to the Father, but you're dry. I mean, as a Christian, have you ever felt spiritually dry? Like, 
dusty. I used to joke way back in the day before we moved into our location here in Canton, I used to have a phrase called crusty Christians. You know, those Christians have been in church for 30 years and they just crusty, man. Like, like all clean up on the outside, but in their heart, no love. And, and this is why I think what I was talking about earlier about the Holy Spirit can leave churches and they never realized it. Why? Because they quit asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They quit asking to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They quit asking God, hey, God, I, I got to do this thing and I need you to fill me to do it. Would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? Again, this is not getting saved again. This is not in that kind of sense of uh, second distinct experience. And this is why to my charismatic friends, I would say, no, I don't believe in only a second distinct experience of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I don't think it's just a second one. I think there's a third one and a fourth one and a fifth one and a sixth one and a seventh one and a millionth one and a two millionth one. Why? Because I can't obey God tomorrow without being filled with the Holy Spirit today. I can't do it. And Micah, this is why he says, but as for me, I'm filled. You guys, you empty. And it's showing up that you're empty by how you're treating people. Because someone who's filled with the Spirit wouldn't act like that. Someone who's filled with the Spirit wouldn't tear apart people all the time. Someone who's filled with the Spirit wouldn't look at other people as dogs or other people to just, rah, 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 right? Just tear apart. People that are filled with the Holy Spirit are going to act out of the fruit of the Spirit. Because what is the fruit? Now, remember, fruit is simply a word for results. What is the result of the Holy Spirit? Well, Galatians 5 tells you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let me ask you a question. Could we use more of those nine things today in our world? Yeah, we could. But listen to me. If you go out today and say, I'm going to be more patient. Is that going to work? No, you've tried that one, haven't you? Because you laughed. If you go out today and be like, I'm going to love. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have joy, dead gummit. <laughs> oh, the heart really responds to that one. That's like sitting down and telling your kids, we're going to have fun right now. I paid $10,000 to come to Disney World. You're riding that. Right? <laughs> like you can relate. But isn't that what we do? We, tr we try to do that without God. And all I'm saying to you is you can't. And God doesn't want you to. So if you will stop, if I will stop and say, Father, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with power. God will graciously give to you. Jesus himself said, you have fathers here on earth that are, that are pretty good, but how much more so your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? He loves to because he knows that you can't do it without him. And so I just want to highlight this fact of like the reason why so many people have started hating good and loving evil is because they're filled with the other spirit, not with the Holy Spirit. Because if you feel with the Holy Spirit, then what's going to come out of you is the fruit of the Spirit. And so if those things aren't coming out of you, listen, God says, hey, ask me, I'll fill you. And so I think it's important for us to start every day. I mean, every time I'm backstage before I come out and preach, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me. Bring more of the Holy Spirit. God, I'm, I need that life. I need that water. I need that. I need him. And the more that he does that, the more we will move out and obey the commands of God. Now, look at the last couple of verses here. Verse 9 and 10, he says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. He's calling out the leaders again. Who detest justice, now listen to this phrase, and make crooked all that is straight. Who make crooked all that is straight. Let me just say a word again. If you're 
especially if you're the husband of your house, doesn't mean that you're the only leader in your house, but you do have a responsibility of how straight is your house? How, how in line with God or, or are you the type of guy, the type of dude that always is looking for a workaround, always looking for the easy route? You know why rivers are crooked, right? They're crooked because they take the path of least resistance. They, they don't ever push through an obstacle. They go around it. And we will be crooked too if we don't are filled with the Holy Spirit and then walking in ways that God has said for us to walk. He says, who builds Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Verse 11, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Now, let me make a pointed point here. Anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit never sees sin as something that God will just always forgive so I can do what I want. I've said this to you often, and I'll say it often. Grace is not a license to sin. It's the power of God to do right. Now, I've been a Christian now for decades. Do I still sin? Of course I do. Don't believe me? Ask my wife. She'll tell you. I still sin. But here's what I want you to hear me say. But if I'm really filled with the Spirit, I will never make peace with my sin. I will never come to the conclusion, oh, that's just the way I am. Well, how you are is a jerk. Well, that's my personality. Okay, so God made you in your personality to be rude and mean to people? Well, I just tell it like it is. <laughs> and none of that is marred by sin? So, so your personality traits are perfect? No. So I want you to hear me when I say this. Christians still sin. But Christians never quit fighting sin. That's the difference. Have you ever wondered when you heard the phrase, I used to wonder this early on in my Christian walk. I would hear people talk about David being a man after God's own heart. And then I read what David did. And I'm like, I think that's a bad title. I think homeboy needs like, no, he was, he was a man after his own heart. Because he saw a pretty woman and had an affair with her and then killed her husband. I don't think that's someone who's a man after God's own heart. You ever thought like that? I mean, I have. I read the Bible, and I'm like, that was a messed up dude. However, it's in the Bible. Why was David a man after God's own heart? You want to know why? Because after he sinned, and the prophet came to him and told him, David, you're the man that committed these sins. What did David do? Immediately went to the house of God and repented dust and sackcloth and ashes for a week. And he wrote Psalm 51. You, you want to know why David was a man after God's own heart? Because when his sin was called out, he didn't rationalize it. He didn't be like, well, God, you know, I mean, you know, my house is sitting, I've, I've been on the house of David and looked down. I mean, I'm up high. I saw our God. What's, what's I'm a man to do? I mean, you know, I'll make it right, God. How much do you want me to tithe? People do this all the time. I do this. Whenever I sin against my wife, you know, immediately what I start doing, I start vacuuming. For real, ask her. Instead of being brokenhearted before her and saying, babe, man, I'm so sorry. I want her to be like, well, I guess he's doing all this, so I forgive him. I immediately turn into works mode. Instead of like, no, I need to humble myself. This is what's crazy. It's harder to humble myself before the one whom I love than it is to go work for her. And that's how we do with God. So a Christian is not someone who never sins. A Christian is someone who, when they sin, it breaks them and they repent and then they fight it. 
So I'm far less concerned if you're sinning, and I'm far more concerned, are you fighting it? Because the moment you give up the fight, the moment that you just will take a bribe, that you will just do whatever, then you're in danger. Again, I'm not saying you can't lose your salvation, but you're in danger of obviously having a disconnect between you and the presence of God. But the Bible does say if you go on forever like that, then maybe you never actually were saved. You may have walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, but if, let me say it to you like this. Sin is what put your Savior on the cross. So when you see sin and you make friends with it, you're making friends with the thing that killed your king. That's why we can never make friends with it. That's why we can never be influenced to the point by other demonic spirits that be like, no, this is not a big deal. It's a huge deal. And this is why David, when he responded, he responded to God and said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. No, he sinned against Bathsheba too. He sinned against Uriah too, didn't he? But, but what's the point? David wasn't saying he didn't sin against him, but he felt it so deeply as though he sinned against the person he loved most. And that's what I'm getting at. Last verse. Chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, therefore, because of you, Zion, Zion's a Hebrew word for the high point or high place. It's, it's where the temple is on Mount Moriah. It's a high point. He says, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. So that's the title of my message now, plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Chapter three ends, but it ends in judgment. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, man, that's again, that's a, it's a heck of a way to end a message judgment. But I, I want you to understand something. God plows, not just to punish, but to plant. In fact, that's my point. You might want to write it down. God plows, not just to punish, but to plant. So hear me. God's judgment is his mercy. Because God would rather judge you now and you listen now than for all eternity to be separated from him. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I've grown up outside my entire life and we had farms and we had horses and tractors. And so I know about plowing, although I don't do it for a living, but I looked up the definition just to make sure I got it right. And here's what plowing is. Plowing is digging deep. I love that. Digging deep into soil and turning it over. Digging deep into soil and turning it over. So why does a farmer plow? Why does a farmer go through and dig deep and turn it all over? Because that's a violent process. Don't you imagine that the soil was like, bro, we're good. Because the farmer knows that there's just weeds in that. See, when the soil gets so compacted and so hard, it has to be plowed or nothing else would grow. And I think as Christians, a lot of us, because of our society around us, we've gotten so hard-hearted. We've gotten so cold to our neighbor. Man, if you were the opposite political party from me, I hate you. Everybody's all cool with praying for the president as long as it's theirs. We get to this point where it's so compact and so dense and we're just tearing people apart that God has to come through with his judgment and plow deep into the soil to turn it over. But why? So he can plant. See, Jeremiah 1.10, and I've said this before, God tells Jeremiah, listen, I called you, I gave you words to do what? To up, uproot, destroy, overthrow, rebuild, and plant. So God never plows without also planting. So in this season of turmoil and chaos, 
allow the Lord to plow up in you anything that doesn't look like justice, that doesn't look like kindness and mercy, and doesn't look like humility. As for you, say, man, I want to be filled with the Spirit, and then God will plant in your life the fruit, the seeds to the fruit of the Spirit, and then the fruit will grow. But it'll never grow if God doesn't plow and then plant. And there may be some of you here today that the Holy Spirit has never been planted in you and you haven't been saved and that's what you need to do. But there's some of us today that we've been saved and that we have the Holy Spirit, but man, God just had to plow again and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whichever one it is today, today you can be filled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you will speak even words of judgment to us, things that are, that are hard to hear a lot of times, but you do it because you love us. And God, I thank you for a church that is willing to listen to those words, who's willing to listen to a prophet from 2,700 years ago speak to us today. And God, I pray right now that whoever is here who has never received the Holy Spirit, who has never trusted Jesus and been saved, right now, you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but you want to trust Christ, be baptized the Holy Spirit to begin a relationship. It comes through faith. And that comes through confession. And so if you want to trust Christ right there where you are. You can pray with me. It's not about a prayer. It's just, but the Bible says, if you confess and believe, then you'll be saved. So this is your confession to God. And you don't have to pray this out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. In faith, I receive Christ. Empower me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me for my sins. I give you my life. Now again, nobody looking around if you're in one of our locations in person and you just prayed that, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women are gonna walk around and put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. And in a moment, whether you're online or in person, you have an opportunity to text us your information. Let us know who you are. But then those of us who have trusted Christ, if we're honest and we would say, yeah, man, I have not been loving. I have been tearing people apart. Well, the good news today is if you're in Christ, then that sin is forgiven. But now... You need to ask to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit because you're dry and you haven't been hearing God. And he will fill you and empower you to do what he's commanded you to do. So if that's you, in the same kind of way, you just say, Father, fill me with the Spirit again. More living water. Give me grace, God to obey you, to love my neighbor as myself. I want the fruit of the Spirit. Father, thank you for being a loving God. Thank you for giving. You're a generous God. Because if you were not, there's no way we could ever follow you. So we thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.